0: Ladies and gentlemen, presenting the professor, Greg Dooley, and the pundit, Steve Clark. Men take the mic.
1: That's right, it's the Professor and the Pundit with Greg Dooley and Steve Clark, and we're proudly presented by Nick Hopwood, who's a certified financial planner, founder, and president of Peak Wealth Management. Retire with confidence. Greg, some 40 episodes ago, we started a podcast, and it was previewing the 2023 Michigan football season, and I thought Michigan had a chance as anyone to win the Big Ten But they were dreaming for a whole lot more, and I can't believe I'm saying it. We're talking about a national champion today.
2: Steve and I just got back, and it's for me, it's still sinking in. Did this really happen? I woke up today. How about you? Has it fully sunk in? Like, what's going on right now? (laughs) Because we've seen a lot, and we've talked about what we've seen on this show for decades now of Michigan football. Live through it. A lot of pain in there. How are you feeling today about this? Is it, do you have it all together? Are you good? Are you, are you, are you like reconciling all this or what? I, I feel invincible. Yeah, unstoppable.
1: I just feel like no matter what's going on, there has been a lot of angst and anxiety for all the reasons that we've talked about. We don't have to talk a whole lot about that today. Yeah. Let's just enjoy it and relish it. But it's just like, it, it just feels like it doesn't matter what the trolls are saying anymore. Michigan just went out and shut everybody up and, and did it in such a way, Greg, you first beat Penn State at their place and not knowing you even had a coach that was going to be coaching until an hour from game time. And they basically said, you got to go to your assistant head coach. They won that game in Happy Valley, a top 10 team. They had a nail biter with probably one of the better offenses in the Big Ten in Maryland gave them a scare. Then you've got Ohio State, number two in the nation. you got Iowa with perhaps the best defense in the nation. They're ranked. Then it's Alabama, who one guy told us that the playoff committee said they have a Michigan problem, and they've sent us, us meaning Alabama, to solve it, okay? Michigan beats them in overtime, and then you have to beat the number two team in the country again to wrap things up. What other team, and I haven't looked it up yet, but what other team has gone through that kind of gauntlet since the first of November to win a national title? I'm sure every team's had to play maybe three, but five?
2: Think about all the different styles and weapons that we had to face, too. Like, all the, all the talented people in those six teams you mentioned, I think it was. And I throw Maryland into that, too. Like, there's a reason they gave us trouble, it's remarkable, Steve. I I can't believe it. Well,
1: Talia is like the second best quarterback. Yeah. In the Big Ten, and they had a variety of weapons on the offense. And you're right. In ways, it's a lot like the basketball tournament. You know, you have a Thursday Saturday matchup, and you've got a high flying, you know, you know, 130 points a game style. And then on Saturday, you're preparing for a team that slows everything down, and maybe only scores 50 points per game. Or a team that pressures you, like yeah. a shock a smart team. You know, back in the day, would used to pressure, and you have to maybe only have forty hours in advance to be able to figure this out. And Michigan was kind of going through that, especially when you've got you know Ohio State, Washington, and Alabama throwing the different styles at you.
2: Yeah, and especially with the the way the schedule fell, with New Year's Day falling on the Monday, and they wanted to do the national championship the next week. Normally, there's a little more time. Now I don't know that we had a choice, like an actual choice, not to go to these games. We got, you know, Steve, I know you have the radio show, but if you didn't want to go or maybe didn't didn't want to spend the money, you know, you could probably make other arrangements. Same here, but we felt compelled to go, and the whirlwind that we just went on for spending the time in LA, getting home. I got home a little later spending a couple of days at home and then packing my bags and right up to all Houston over again. Yeah, it's wild. And and I you talked about the journey and you talked about those six games and you talked about, you know, our 36 plus episodes in. And I got to say we we got to thank these listeners here, Steve, because to me it took it to a new level for us for to do this podcast and all the love we got And the people we ran into Houston, and I ran into Nick himself in Houston, Nick Hopwood, and to see him there, it was extra special that we did this and the support he did. And by the way, I ran into the guys from Autograph Mm. who have been great supporters of ours, and there's a link to the Autograph app where you can get great Michigan content. I saw those guys, and I have not taken off. I still haven't, by the way, as a demonstration of how this is still sinking in for me. I got my Michigan versus everybody wristband on that those guys gave me. I I have not taken it off since they gave it to me. In the shower, yes, it's clean, it's fine. Okay. And And by the way, I was on campus today. Classes started again this week. And I just saw so many smiles on students' faces. And I was rocking the Block M hat, which I normally don't do on campus. It's kind of understood, but rocked it on campus. Got to see a bunch of students, a bunch of my former students. I got more Go Blues. In the hallways of the School of Education that I've gotten, I saw kids coming in and looking at the daily newsstand to see if the printed edition was out. I saw kids not like giving it, it didn't look like it was yet, or either that or they were all taken. I'm still coming to grips with it all. I really yeah, am. Well, I really I, am.
1: Everybody's fired up on day one of class.
2: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, without a doubt. And of course, uh, there's been talk about the greatest this, the greatest that. Is this the best team ever? You know, where does the number two jersey as a jersey now stack up in the great jerseys, the number one jersey in these iconic things? Blake Corum as a running back in that great list. And there's probably a show, maybe it's next show, Steve, but I led my class. I always do my class now with a cold open, like like Saturday Night Live. I I don't even introduce myself. Before I introduce myself to my students and talk about the mechanics of the class on day one, I do a cold open where I break right into something. Today, in the history of college athletics, I broke into a discussion of the greatest Michigan football team of all time, and is this this team that team, and did a very, very brief discussion of what's the criteria, the class was involved, what makes a great team, and then kind of stepped through the greatest teams from what I consider the five eras of Michigan football history, and stepped through and had that discussion well,
1: take a few minutes and summarize yeah that. Give, so me, sure. give, give us the Cliff notes version of
2: it. So the students did so' right off the bat and I'm challenging the students in the class. I haven't even said hi I'm Professor Dooley And I said well how do we judge this you know there's different errors we've been doing this you know this 144th team how do we judge teams the people said uh, championships uh, rankings adversity schedule opponents you know comparative did, did we play the best teams all these things came up I said, absolutely. All true. So I picked the best teams from, I described the five eras, and really the first era with a coach where there's a legitimate contender and our first national champion is fielding H. Yost. We picked 1901. And we went into 1901. Michigan was unbeaten, unscored upon, 550 points to zero, concluding in a postseason game in the first Rose Bowl. And... So there were all the accolades there. They have a legacy. They have a nickname, the point a minute. Mm -hmm. The coach has a nickname. Buildings, all this stuff. Rose Bowl victory. Rose Bowl wasn't a championship. Rose Bowl was against a team that had had lost a game to California, wasn't even the league champion. And that team never played a team from the East, Harvard, Yale, Penn, which were considered, like the SEC, the elite teams. We fast-forwarded to 1947, Fritz Kreisler, the Mad Magicians, showed them a clip of the great Mad Magicians and the just dazzling display of shifting and ball concealment and passes and and you know and, and double throwback passes and all the stuff they did to revolution on the game. And they have a nickname. And the season concluded in the Rose Bowl. It's a split national title with Notre Dame. Notre Dame was undefeated. They didn't get to play them. Right, there was, a, there was a second AP vote after the season for the first time. They made history, but they split the, the national title with Notre Dame. Then we go to 1997, and we know there. And I showed some clips, and we talked about it. Again, concluding in the Rose Bowl, beat a great Washington State team, but never got to play the other team that was undefeated and had the chance. We walked through this season, five of the last six games against ranked opponents, Two number two teams, if I call correctly. I think Iowa was number 12. Where was Penn State? They were right around the top 10. Top 10? Yep. Ohio State being that first number two team. And then, of course, what? Alabama, number four? Number four. Physically dominant. We won every trophy that is available for us to win, from the Big Ten to all our rivalry trophies now sit in Michigan's trophy case. The Rose Bowl, once again, the iconic team, had to go through the Rose Bowl dethroned the the SEC champion who's now looking for a new head coach, by the way, and on to that conclusion with the last undefeated team in a gauntlet. How can you not say they're not the best? And this is the guy who loves the Yost era, and I didn't even mention the 30s because I don't think they're in the same category mm-hmm. where, we, where Harry Kipke won two more champions. They were fantastic teams, but they never even played in a postseason game. So... You put all that together, this is absolutely the most accomplished team in history. There's no question there. and you have to argue that it's the greatest season. Is it the greatest era? That's a different discussion. I know you got into that a little bit with Sam Webb. These three-year stretch in our lifetime, though, is absolutely the best in my
1: right. opinion. So, yeah. I mean, how far back do you it. go? I mean, what I don't know that maybe you do yeah. is 47 and 48 which is two, but I don't know the years surrounding the periphery of 46 and 49, but this three-year stretch of finishing in the top four culminating with a championship, it has to be within most people's lifetimes, not even an argument, that it is the best era.
2: Coming out of what was probably the low point since, what, Rich Rod –
1: the whole 15-year stretch, quite frankly, yeah. between the end of Lloyd Carr and the ascension here that started in 2021, technically that's 13 years. Yeah, That's pretty low. These Short years of the they, Sugar Bowl. These years yeah. they didn't make bowl games. Um, yeah. one, one major New Year's Six, the Sugar Bowl you mentioned, in 2011, Brady Hook's first year wasn't exactly the most dominating game, but Michigan won it. The thing about this year's team, my gosh, you've got four. Top 10 wins, three top five wins, and they've won it. Now, did they do what Georgia did and steamroll everybody by 30, 40, 50 points or like fielding Yost's point-of-minute teams? No, they they didn't do that. But the gauntlet of the schedule and the adversity that they face along the way and everybody rooting for them to lose, I mean, to me, this team I think is going to be defined by their focus through adversity, okay? A 3-year rebuild culminating in the year 3 national championship. They were top 4 the other two previous years, but you just saw this kind of run happening like a professional team, you know, first win the division, then get to the Super Bowl, then win the Super Bowl. Yes. And they were relentless. They were driven for this year. It's a total team bonding.
2: Absolutely. The other thing I told the students was, you are so lucky. So lucky. You are a part of this. These, these players are your classmates. In fact, there are football players who I spoke to in the class. You will tell people the rest of your life. Some of you will have children. You will tell your children that you were here when this happened. And you are so fortunate to, to be able to
1: say that. And the fact that some of these people listening to this will look back and say, the best of the Michigan years in my lifetime were at least 25 years ago, if not 45 years ago, maybe 35 years ago. And you tell this to your children who just kind of nod their head and move on. It's nothing what they've experienced. It's not even come something close. And within three years, they can look right back at you now and say, what we're doing right now is better than all of what you taught me about since I was a kid growing up. Within three years, they went from hearing you talk about stories from yesteryear, like it's ancient history, the Civil War or something. Yeah. And now they can share in in the moment, I was there when Michigan played its best.
2: Yes, and you can draw these comparisons. It's very hard, these, these, these lines. And we'll, maybe we'll get into more of that around player legacies and moments and all that. But just incredible. It's definitely sinking in. But I felt obligated. In fact, Steve, I feel so obligated. My other two classes are the NIL class, and my leadership class. But they all know I teach the history of college athletics. Mm-hmm. I feel obligated to do a similar version. I haven't met with those students yet mm-hmm. when I see those folks and, and give that to them. Because I know they all, many of them, I think, want to hear it. So I'm geeked. The students are geeked. They don't know this or feel this. Maybe no one does. Maybe it goes back to Harbaugh's staring up at the confetti coming down and going, there, there's a thousand different stories in the confetti. You know, we, we look at all this stuff differently. And it's a very, very personal and emotional thing. That's why we, we do a podcast. Is why Steve and I love this stuff so much. And, and I assume everyone listening it's personal for all of us. That's that's the way I look at rivalries in these big moments because it's all very personal. There's family, there's emotion related, but it's definitely different from the students. But I know, I know I'll never forget. And here's another thing, and I'll tell you this, Steve. Before the Rose Bowl, I was thinking about it, and I got this class, and I got these, by the way, over 125 students. My history class is now waitlisted as well as long as my other classes. Good man. And we're gonna do a assignment or a project that's going to be related to capturing their maybe favorite moment, memory, you know, incident, uh, either at game outside the game related to this team and it's run while they were a student here at Michigan and capture that probably on our, you know, digitally or something like that and give that to the Bentley historic library as kind of a time capsule. As one of my mm. assignments in my class, I haven't quite crafted how I want. I, t- I reached out to them already to talk about it, kind of like they used to create sc- students used to create scrapbooks, and this is this is this was really hot in like 1910 and 1920. And the Bentley Library actually has a collection of the old student scrapbooks, which really give a picture because there's really wasn't much else of what student life was. Well, I want to tie it to the football team and its run and maybe get all kinds of different slices of the student experience captured and make it part of the historical record. Oh, that's great. I think it would be a cool project. I I think it is a cool project. So I'm still spitballing on it, but, yeah, I'm going to take advantage of this too. Craig
1: Dooley's time capsule.
2: Did I, Steve, did I see some of my students on the field, by the way? Yes, I did. There were a few hugs with some of my former students who are football players. I saw them down there when we went down there. One student told me, Steve, on the field, that he, he goes, hey, Professor Dooley. Did he say
1: he loved you? No.
2: I think <laughs> I told Herb I loved him. Is that all right? Um, I think I mean it. <laughs> um, I, one of my students said, hey, Professor, I'm not going to be in class on Thursday. I got to go home. I go, I go. I go Go be with your family, man. I you, you can miss one day of class, you'll be fine. So, um, excused. So <laughs>
1: very nice. Yeah. So that's cool. that's very nice of you. Yeah. Now, I, I have to ask you this, as you yeah. were talking. This question has come to mind: the Rose Bowl experience, or the national championship oh, experience? It's Not even close. Okay, which one was it? For oh, you? I'll
2: take the Rose Bowl every time because. So so here's what here's what occurred to me, and it kind of put this in perspective. And I was a little anxious before the before the game. I don't know about you, but I was a little anxious. Like, boy, I came out here. I feel like we should win this game. I just don't want a bad call. Michigan stuff, a timeout. Chris Weber, yes, I was there. I've been through all this. So I'm like, okay, just not that. May the better team win, right? Just not that. Just not the timeout. Just not a bad call. Just not a phantom fumble. Please, give me that. And as I was settling into the game and uh, into pregame, and I saw some of our friends, I saw the Bankowskis, by the way, our great listeners, our friends, and the Wine Tribes, Iris family, and some other people. Brandon, Nick Hopwood, I already mentioned that. It's it occurred to me that the vibe was very much like the Big Ten Championship game. What do I mean by that? Pro Stadium, kind of pro feel, Mm -hmm. right? Don't. But very, very much kind of an NFL vibe. But the vibe of the fan base was incredibly confident. It was more close to a coronation than, hey, we got a tough game. Okay, that's what I felt. And when I felt that, it reminded me of the Big Ten Championship where we kind of we felt really good about how things were going to go. That's the vibe I got there. And that's a good vibe, Steve. But the Rose Bowl. The mountains. My trips out there, dreaming of going back, maybe it's because I spent more time in L.A. It's more of a college vibe, and it was way more intense. And the pregame, you did not have that confidence in everybody that we were going to win this game. We felt pretty good, but we didn't know what was going to happen. If you ask people, would it shock them if Alabama maybe beat us by 18, you know, 20 points? I don't think anyone would have been shocked, incredibly disappointed but not after what we've been through the rose bowl is king and that's why to me it was so important we won that game and i and i stand by had had things gone the wrong way in the in the national championship game you just can't take that away and you can't take away that moment you can't take away me petting herbie's dog ben on the field rolling around <laughs> which i have a picture now but that's for me that's what it is it's still the rose bowls the best it was obviously a different feeling, because when all the chips were on the table, we still had to lay our hand down and win the last one, and we sure did. So, what about you? Well, you
1: know, Screaming A. Smith had talked about all the games need to be out of Pasadena and played at SoFi. Oh, Cle- clearly, he, clearly he does not understand. He, he does no, not understand. No. So, as we documented last week, my first trip took my son, there was obviously some advantages there where that would come into play. But there's no doubt, I've just grown up for 50-plus years about the pinnacle used to being the Rose Bowl, the last game, falling short, winning a few, what it all meant. Michigan's last national championship came from winning at the Rose Bowl, as you already reminded people. When you include all that stuff in there, beating Bama and potentially a dynasty, All that being said, we are in agreement. I thought you might say winning the national championship in the coronation was the best, but we're actually in agreement that the the, the most satisfying thing was being on the field after Michigan winning the Rose Bowl and the way that game played out. The confidence level in Michigan was just as equal for the people at the University of Washington. I talked to their media, I talked to their fans, and they seemed to be just as confident that they were going to beat Michigan. They were glad they were playing Michigan. In fact, I said, why are you glad you're playing Michigan? He says, well, it's not really – and this is more than a few people. This was a lot of people. They had come to an agreement that they did not want to see an SEC team because they just thought that the SEC in general is just better. And they were happy to play anybody but Alabama. I understand Anybody that. but Georgia. We're, we're all scared.
2: We're, we're all a little – I can say this now. We're, we're a little afraid of the SEC. We were. I, I'm not anymore. <laughs> not not with this team, I'm not. I'm really not. You
1: know, yeah, I mean, I would uh, yeah. Be, I, look, look, there's still <laughs> being arguments being made. And, and quite frankly, until Michigan plays every single team in college, until there's a 133-game yeah. <laughs> regular season, uh, not everybody's going to be convinced.
2: Okay, but okay, if you're talking about Georgia, I understand that. It's the only thing really you could say is, what about Georgia? Okay, but they just, they play their way in. They just had a way to get straight in. Obviously, they would have been in. They were number one. They lost to the team we beat. What do you want us to do? <laughs> like, it was de facto. a Not tournament.
1: a, a September-January okay. thing. It was right to cha- to the last two games. It, know, Alabama it, hadn't played a game since beating Georgia.
2: By the way, in the state of Georgia, am I correct?
1: Yes. Yes. Sadie mean, what,
2: do you, what do you want? You know, it's funny you say that. Like, if you're looking back, I'd probably shuffle around my top four, but obviously, different styles styles make these fights, and I think. Different teams would have had different success, but it's really, really hard to ignore Michigan's defense, especially. Did you have you had a chance to watch the game?
1: Uh, I've watched the first and fourth quarters over again. Yeah,
2: but it just translates to any of these different styles when you have a great defense, and obviously with a high-powered passing attack, it translated. And I just feel like bring on, bring you know, bring on Georgia. But looking back, the toughest teams that Michigan played, absolutely Alabama i put Ohio State in that category. Probably Georgia would have been tough. Penn State was fantastic, at, on defense at least, right, Steve? So if I had to make a top four or a playoff where the toughest gauntlet for Michigan would be right now, I would include Alabama, and I would include Ohio State in there. Like, I think those were really tough matches. Remember, we played in Ohio State at home. They had the ball at the end with a chance right, coming down the field. And I feel like that Washington game, that could have gotten really ugly, had a couple things gone the other way. I know Washington had their chances, but but I did look at the film. I watched the 60, the the Big Ten and 60. I didn't realize this watching in the stadium, how many times while we didn't get uh, Penix on his back that much, I didn't realize how many times we hit him, nicked him, popped him, grabbed him, right after he threw the ball or he got rid of it so quick to avoid the sack. I kind of knew he was he was he was fidgeting and throwing it quickly. You could definitely see that. But I'm following the ball. I didn't realize how many times he got drilled. Like on
1: his rib injury at the end was really showing to the yeah. point that he was throwing the ball away to avoid being hit after the throw like a knockdown is typically registered. rib
2: foot, one of his legs looked like it was it was hit um, on the interception in the second half, and I don't know if that happened before. And players kept coming by and kind of doing the run and the nudge, and he was really like cringing and looking away from it when they were getting. I saw Kenneth Grant one time got right in on him, and one of the offensive linemen tried to get and,
1: shoved him. Yeah,
2: Kenneth yeah. Grant. No, and he barely hit him, but they didn't want him to get touched, and he didn't want to get touched. That's that's what yeah. caused a lot of those passes, right? And I know a lot of you are watching. You watch this on TV. You're like, yeah, Dually. I didn't realize it when I was watching the stadium, and Looking back, Michigan dominated that game. And uh,
1: speaking of yeah. your viewing angles,
2: yeah. we have to talk oh, about God. how
1: we watched the game and where to. it was from. So, initially, we find out when we go in that we're located in the auxiliary press box. Now, the auxiliary press box at the Rose Bowl is outside the Rose Bowl in a tent. So, I when I found out there was an auxiliary tent. For the Rose Bowl, auxiliary
2: it, anything. I'm thinking cinder blocks or a tent or yeah, a uh, a mobile a, truck, a temporary stands, movable, horrible, horrible sight lines. Yeah. Yes, go ahead. So I, I
1: saw the same thing. We're we're, yeah. we're going into this auxiliary deal, and I kind of looked at it and I said, okay, this isn't so bad, you know. And I essentially we were behind the end zone which all of us in broadcasting like because we're fully appreciating the full 22, the coach's view. So when you see holes open up like Donovan Edwards went through, like Blake Corum went through in the first quarter, you see the hole, okay? It's, it's massive. You see how coverage breakdowns happen in the moment, all these good things that TV does not show. But the other thing is in the press box, you're usually sealed off.
2: So let me, let me tell you. Go. Yeah. So you're usually sealed off with glass, and this press box in particular was beautiful. Okay? And by the way, if anyone's listening, you can get us in trouble. No, no. We're very grateful to be in any press box, and any seat, and all that stuff. It was 800 level, and my seat was in the main press box behind the glass, and behind this glass, and it's very sterile. There's no cheering. It's a professional environment, as you might say. The We've, sound is muffled. sound is muffled. They have, in fact, press boxes have typically someone like basically calling the numbers in the plays like Will Johnson on the tackle, you know, that kind of thing. There's Someone's calling it for just the press, right? There's a guy who does it at Michigan Stadium because it's so quiet and you can't hear the PA announcer and things like that or, or really pick it up clearly. Very sterile. So I find out, Steve, that where are you guys doing the radio show? Oh, we're in the auxiliary press box. And, of course, my mind goes to that picture of what this piece of Mm -hmm. crap auxiliary thing is. And it's not connected to the main press box, which is huge. Well, I got to go see Steve, and I got to go see Sam and Ira. But I got to go all the way down, and I got to go find another elevator and get over to this auxiliary press box. I walk in there. It's just as big, if not bigger, than the regular press box. And as Steve points out, it's open air. So I go down to where they are. And I see the Michigan fans coming in with their pom-poms, right? I mean, you can't touch them. There's a a couple of desks in a row and a small aisle between us. We were in the Michigan section. Yes. So what did I do? I looked around. I said, Steve, are these seats back here open? Absolutely. No one's sitting there. I went right back to to the regular press box and grabbed my bag. No, I'm sure no one minds. It was all media credentialed people. And I plopped down right with you guys. It was great. I was so
1: glad that you did because we got to celebrate the highs and lows together. I just want you to imagine, for those that have been in Michigan Stadium, imagine the Jack Roth Stadium Club on the visitor's sidelines. Take the windows out, but there is seating. Take the windows out, but you still have the long hallways and the... Places where you can get beverages and high boy tops to, uh, you know, congregate. And Easy meet with access people. to
2: bathrooms, by the way. Exactly.
1: <laughs> Food was fantastic there, by the way, as every place that we go to. It's, it's, it's wonderful. You felt like you were part of the atmosphere Absolutely. instead of being muffled behind the soundproof glass. Crazy, between the three of us, there was a fourth guy there who appeared to be somewhat of a Michigan fan. He was wearing red. And... He was celebrating every touchdown with us, and we felt like we could celebrate every touchdown considering the circumstances that we were in.
2: Yeah, and by the way, this wasn't – we weren't elbow-to-elbow with all kinds of people covering Washington or cover – or ESPN or Pete Thamel or all these people. No, No, no. We were spread out, and it looked like there were just people hanging out. There were clearly Michigan fans with us. I didn't know some of the guys, including this guy who was in all red.
1: He told me in the tunnel afterwards, because we all went down to the elevator together – uh, Ira Weintraub was sitting in the stands with his family in the low 100s. So if like, if this was a movie, we had this other guy replacing Ira because he was in the group hug yeah. when Michigan kind of got the clinching touchdown. He joined us down the elevators, and then he just revealed to me that he was a GA for Nebraska. And I'm like, okay. And he goes, in 1997. <laughs> I'm like, What? <laughs> You, you know, know I, I don't. I
2: don't know if he had something against Washington, but I know he loved like the style and the size and the tenacity. Like, we substituted Kenneth Grant a couple of times for somebody else. Maybe you know, but the who's the other guy? I think it's number ninety nine or what? Well, anyway, Cam and, Good. Yeah, Cam, <laughs> with Cam Good. And this guy, he goes, he screams at the top of his lung that guy's as big as the guy they just took out, you know, like that kind of thing. Like we just, and that's what, you know, when we could, we were cycling our linemen through. It
1: it didn't (laughs) seem like he knew Michigan on a personal level or a week to week basis or who the roster was made up of, but his buddy was a Washington guy. Maybe he was showing up as the second wheel for this guy. who was going up to the game, but the Washington guy, you know, he, he was a fan too, and he was kind of quiet, but Washington fans were very nice all throughout they were confident but yeah, they yeah. were very respectful and they were very nice
2: i get why they were confident i mean they they had overcome so much and we talked about this like to be 10 point underdogs to oregon and really take it to them and i and i do think penix was he he seemed to me to be the best player in college football and i haven't seen much of the lsu guys so i got to say but they they really seemed like to be a special team and I and I wonder if they felt like they were a team of destiny.
1: Well they did feel like yeah. they were a team. Alabama thought they were a team of destiny. I talked to Washington fans. They said the words were a team of destiny. And and part of this is they had played in ten straight games that were decided by ten points or less, and some of them got down to the nitty-gritty mid to late fourth quarter and they pulled it out. And they pulled it out every single time. They didn't stumble. You look at how Michigan kind of built their roster. Michael Penick started it last year by surprising everyone in Huskyville that he was coming back for a 6 year. And when he did that, the star receivers that also could have gone pro decided we're coming back, Odunze, Polk, McMillan. They said, no, we're coming back for another year too then it was the offensive lineman. It was like building the Fab Five. Juwan Howard starts, and then all of a sudden, Jimmy King and Ray Jackson, and then Jalen and Chris. You just see this domino effect of all the different players offensively and their best ones defensively all returning because Michael Penix wanted to return. Yep. And he was their unquestionable leader. Yeah, they're stunned that they didn't win. And knowing that... Both teams felt like they were teams of destiny. One was going to win and one was going to lose. I wasn't exactly sure which one it was going to be. I thought Michigan was going to win the game, but would I have bet the house on it? Absolutely not.
2: Yeah, no, and I, look, I thought we had a chance against Georgia because we were having a great season. And I thought we obviously were going to beat TCU. But I thought we had a shot against Georgia. But, no, looking back, we didn't have a shot against Georgia. And... I think a reasonable Washington fan at this point would go, they were probably sorry, but they were probably fortunate to keep it a seven-point game. I mean, their defense played way better than I thought it would. Once once after they had those breakdowns and, and Donovan did his thing. But they just didn't have the depth. They couldn't sustain it. They kept it close, but they were fortunate, in my opinion, to keep it that
1: close. I think talking to a few people, including Coach Neuheisel, who I rode the bus back with to the hotel, they just said, uh, you know, Man, that it was there for the taking. They just didn't get it done. I think Alabama is probably saying it was there for the taking. Oh, absolutely. But we made some mistakes, and I think that's where some people are coming up to say, "Hey, if it was Georgia, they would have they would have beaten Michigan both times, or beat Alabama, or BYU." Yeah, take the worst parts of all of them, and maybe Georgia could have. But you know, Michigan didn't play its best games either, and still found a way to win, and they created some of those issues. Against Alabama, against Ohio State, and, and against Washington. Yeah. So it was fantastic.
2: We, by the way, can I can I say oh, real yeah. quick? So you you mentioned Neuheisel, and we played the clip of him. How much he loved Mr. Brightside. So the fans got to vote on a song to play in the stadium. You know that kind of thing where you do the fan vote. Yeah. And they played "Don't Stop Believing" by right. Journey. Journey. So I was listening to "Full Ride" the day after the game. The part he loved, he, he echoed again. The Michigan fans when they came to the part of born and raised in South Detroit, he couldn't believe how loud it was, and and he loved it. So I, I think thought, he's
1: got a new respect for Michigan fans. He
2: does, but he was full on board and just laughing with every every team. We, we talked about being a team of destiny. This was different. Like, it was Michigan versus everybody. It really was. Yes, I know sure people, was. other people have that mantra. Like, I look, yeah. Ohio says that. You know? yeah. No, 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 but this season <laughs> – it was really michigan versus everybody to do what they did he really like leaned into it and how how much Michigan fans really enjoyed that and, and really needed it. And by the way, I don't know what you've heard. It was at least 60% Michigan, probably yeah. two-thirds, clearly. Cause, and by the way, from the 700 level, Stephen, I could see. We could see every seat and how it wrapped around. And it was clearly a Michigan
1: for a yeah. For a Michigan crowd that has a reputation of being quiet, they were decisively louder than their Washington counterpart yeah decisively and even I, when Washington was doing well
2: and some of you are watching it on TV and all of the action all the touchdowns like it, it most of it happened in the Michigan painted end zone well this game it happened in the other end zone in the Washington end zone and that's also where like the washington i believe the band where they kind of wrapped around so washington
1: band was behind where most of the scoring was
2: so if you looked at the tv and those angles you might think wow it was pretty pretty even it was not it was not even it was it was michigan so well done i hope many of you uh were there and able to experience it look forward to hearing your, your 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 experiences from it uh steve what's next
1: That means it's halftime here on The Professor and the Pundit with Greg Dooling and Steve Clark. And we've been very thankful to have Nick Hopwood as a part of our program and and help support us. He's a certified financial planner. He's also the founder and president of Peak Wealth Management, where you can retire with confidence. And Nick is actually joining us in the locker room for halftime, Greg. And we want to get his interpretation and his experience. He was in Energy Stadium to watch the national championship. Nick, I'm so glad to have you a part of this as we're celebrating a Michigan
0: national championship. We sure are, Steve. And, you know, after 26 years, there's no way I was going to miss it. We were on a cruise for the Rose Bowl and it was just poor timing and poor planning on my part. After 26 years, that's a long wait. You know, there's no way we were going to miss this game. In fact, I brought my, my two boys, my 11th grader and 8th grader with me and because if it you know if it's going to take 26 years for the next one, you know they're going to be my age. So I wanted them to experience it. Yeah. So
1: tell me, what was the best part of being at the national championship?
0: I mean, where do I start? There's so many fun things that that we can talk about. It comes back to my boys. Just so happy to share that experience with them, because they're going to remember it for the rest of their life.
2: You know, and that's great. And and by the way, Nick and I ran into each other on the concourse. I mentioned it on the show, but. That was pretty cool, Nick, and completely random. Um, And I was wearing my Peak hat. And tell him, (laughs) did you you see me or the hat first? Oh, I saw the hat. I'm like, what the hell? (laughs) (laughs) What the hell? You you didn't know you were global. And and
1: then you went, oh, it's Dooley.
2: You thought you had uh, just a random fan peak went global it is my favorite hat nick thought i was 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 making that up i love it i'm worn it by the way to all the big games it's kind of a good luck charm now nick he has yeah
1: he can't stop wearing it now he's got to wear it all in 2024
2: no but i'm glad he talked about family because that's really what this is all about is friends and family and for many of us yeah, i got to see college buddies right that had been through great days and tough times with michigan football and all that stuff and for many of us, you know, at the Rose Bowl, I brought my daughter and Steve, you know, was there with his son. And for you to experience this with your boys, uh, you'll never forget that. I, I, I hope they appreciate what happened and what they got to see and witness with you.
0: I think they do. I, I really do. And, you know, over this last few days, you know, I was thinking a lot about the 98 Rose Bowl and going down there with Dave Shannon and Chris Dupre. And, you know, the experience of this time with my boys. And, and then it was like a reunion for my college buddies, you know, pregame. And so that was fantastic.
1: So do you have a moment that you feel like
0: encapsulates this Michigan football season or the national championship game? Well, Steve, I was listening to uh, you this morning on TKA, and you were sharing the story about how Sam predicted the play-action pass, right? Yes. Well, when on the first drive, right, they ran a quorum a few times. And then they put in Mullins and Donovan didn't get in and he was the third running back. Correct. And when when Edwards went in, I told my boys, hey, Donovan's in. And then bang, 40 yards. And then, you know, it happened again. I, I said, I called it, I called it again, Donovan's in. And then he hit it again. And you know, it just I feel like with with Edwards this year, we just were just waiting and waiting and waiting. And the expectations were so high after the end of last year. And to, to start the national championship game like that was just so epic. And, you know, my voice, I, I still can't talk from that first touchdown from Edwards. So, you know, that to me was, uh, you know, something I'll never forget. Hey, guys, you know at the beginning of each home game when James Earl Jones is on the scoreboard doing the intro? Definitely. It's
2: one so of you know my favorite
0: things that we do. Yeah. I, n- I never want to miss that, right? It's like goosebumps every time. But, you know, do you remember he says – we're proud members of the Big 10 conference in pursuit of national championships. Have you ever felt for a minute like are we really are we really in pursuit of national championships? I
2: feel like that was a kind of a necessary thing to say because we all kind of feel like we're the best, but we all know we're really not right now. Yeah. It, yeah.
1: It, if you say you're the leaders and best, you kind of try to incorporate that in the line, but do you believe it's going to happen? Yeah. That's a different no, story. Do
2: I believe we're sitting here as national? I still has not sunk in, Nick.
1: Since Ohio State, we've had these trips to Indianapolis, followed by Pasadena, by going to Houston, and the prices just keep seem to be going up, and the merchandise keeps having to be replenished. So does our portfolios, because we took a lot of cash out, oh my God. and we have spent so much money. Help me, Nick. <laughs> we, 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 there are thousands of people just like us that need to find a way to get their accounts back up to where it was before the season. So. This is a reminder. If you want to know more, if you want to build your portfolio back up the smart way, the correct way, the right way, give Nick a call at 734-681-7575 or go to peakwm.com. Nick, any final words?
0: Well, hey, speaking about uh, Edwards here, my, the best tweet I ever had was the Donovan Edwards. I took a screenshot of him on the cover of the Wall Street Journal. So give, give us a follow at on Twitter, Hopwood one uh, That'd be much appreciated. Thank you.
2: Yeah, and we, we include Nick. I try to whenever I post on Invictors, our pod. And Nick, it's been awesome. It's been fun. You've been a friend. You've been a partner with us on this. And we can't thank you enough. So if you're out there listening, the over 1,000 uh, listens we've had on the last couple podcasts, we're g- growing in numbers and plays. Give Nick a call. If you're just thinking about it, do it now. The karma it's the right time with all the karma and the football program this podcast. Do it.
1: I got two more things that I want to do before we wrap up the program. One, the way the city of Houston looked and everything with the CFP black, gold, and white labels everywhere. Where we were staying was like a movie set. I mean, it's just the entire lobby was like torn down and redecorated. Uh, to match the CFP logos and stuff. It it looked like CFP headquarters. The stairway looked like, you know, each stair was decorated. It was like 30-some stairs. Yeah,
2: and by the way, this was all custom because what they did was they have these giant pillars in the lobby of the JW Marriott by the Galleria in Houston. And these, obviously, they didn't bring these pillars in. But they fit the... uh, all the displays to fit inside perfectly inside the pillars right. on the stairs. They took the measurements. <laughs> they yeah. took
1: the measurements and figured it all out. Yeah. It was a media hotel, okay, but it was like the CEO of a major of a Fortune 500 company. Yeah, just everything was decorated to print, and it's all been stripped down. I mean, our key cards were custom CFP 2024 in Houston. Yeah, label cards.
2: I held on to one. Actually, the the media hotel at the Rose Bowl had the same thing. had a, had a a special Rose Bowl design. I they were so cool. I kept them. <laughs> like I'm not I'm not giving this one back. Yeah, yeah. They were sweet. So, yeah.
1: th- and downtown. I mean, I don't know how they did the skyscraper that was, you know, some forty stories. Yeah. with With the trophy on it, top notch. There. The other thing that I was going to bring up before we closed was there was some success on the NIL front. And I think we could probably talk about the specifics in our next program, but just give the quick, um, what's it called? Those who stay?
2: Those who stay. Yeah. It's, it's those who stay from champion circle. And I can say this because champion circle uh, has announced this, but they actually had a fundraiser at one of the hotels, a, a, an information session. Steve is probably how I should say that. An information session over the last like week or two, They've raised quite a bit, a few million dollars, partly generous donations, partly fans, and that those who stay campaign. I want to say, Steve, at the time of recording, over seven hundred thousand dollars from fans, basically, for nil, which Much is needed. Yeah, which is fantastic. And there's been donors who've come in, and you know, match the next hundred thousand and that kind of thing. There's clearly momentum. When you're a Michigan, you've got to get to double digits in the millions to fund a football program today if you want to be in the top tier. And I think that's what they're shooting for. So more to come. Well, hopefully we'll have some more information, some more announcements from Champion Circle and people like Hale Impact to see what has been the impact of this national championship on NIL. Because, by the way, it already started. And as I mentioned here a couple times, this is the time of the year with the transfer portal. By the way, Jake Thaw, the guy who made the great play, in my opinion, the mistake, but then the great heads-up play in the Rose Bowl to, to prevent a safety, is entered the transfer portal, or, or to put his name in, he just announced. There are other teams that are trying to pick off some of our great players that are that are returning, like people with eligibility, like... And I and I don't know, but there's people who are returning, like Mason Graham. You got Colston Loveland, right? Will Johnson. All these guys have eligibility left; they can't go to the pros. But I, the, the word is, is that other teams are trying to woo these yeah, guys. Yeah, they're trying to poach them. Yeah, why wouldn't they? Because you can. And there's, you know, technically, you're not supposed to hang dangle money, but that's what's happening. Oh, and, and The NCAA is not it's doing ridiculous. anything about it.
1: Yes, if it, it, it's yeah. here. We've already talked about what the NCAA is trying to focus on and what they're not you know, dealing with at all or completely ignoring. I just got to say before we wrap things up, Ohio State has to share. Ohio State was the only Big Ten team that was in the four-team playoff that won a national championship. They have to share. Through seven years of the college football playoff, Ohio State was the only team from the Big Ten to actually score a point. And now Michigan has a better winning percentage than the Buckeyes do in the college football playoff. Make room on the mantle. Jim Harbaugh is the only head coach to win three straight Big Ten titles. Ohio State has had that many Big Ten titles in a row, one at Lucas Oil, but none by the same head coach three years in a row. There's a number of things along that line where Ohio State now has to share with Michigan instead of being the defining big 10 team or be
2: or be surpassed Michigan three straight trips to the playoffs right Ohio State can't say that no yeah absolutely it was kind of the SEC plus Ohio plus Oklahoma a little bit plus a little Oregon Clemson. plus a little Clemson that that was the group right and we were
1: not in it no and in fact Michigan is two and two yeah, now now in these playoff games. Oh, that's so, right, two and two. That's right. You know, they talk about, oh, <laughs> they could be zero and three. They could be just like Oklahoma, who's zero four. No, Michigan is two and two now. Yeah, and, and they're a player, and it changes now. The twelve-team playoff uh, changes. That means Michigan might have more games.
2: I know uh, uh, to play next and, year. And Harbaugh, you got to give the guy so much credit for what he's been through, what he's done. I know we're going to talk about. We'll probably learn more about his future soon. I like that he talked about when spring practice is going to be, because I think everyone would like <laughs> to have him back.
1: I know. You know what, though? I got to say, if Jim Harbaugh leaves, the new head coach might need more than sure. a few weeks so to start it the It makes sense practice. on so yeah. many levels. Just yeah. like,
2: you know, the unnamed student telling me, hey, I, I want to take a break. Yeah, I heard they get a week off, and they deserve it. What a, a gauntlet they've been through. But, yeah, so we'll see what happens. But I, I did love, you know, how all the coverage goes to this game. So they bring in all the analysts, right, including the NFL analysts, to talk about the CFP championship. And I loved how a lot of the analysts, particularly on ESPN, marveled at the pro-style defense and how they roll the safeties and all the schemes yep. they do because they understand it. And if you, another benefit of watching the All-22 view that we had is how much they signal to each other and talk to each other to change the coverages, to roll the coverages, to sh- shift the responsibilities – it's as complex as any offense is yep. what they're running and the and these pro analysts were in that marveling that Michigan was doing that and yeah it was kind of cool to see yeah it was kind of cool to see
1: Greg, it's been cool doing all these podcasts oh, with you. We're not planning on stopping, and, uh, but what a great way to uh, start a Michigan football season. No,
2: can, and speaking of a time capsule, I was thinking about the other day, like I haven't blogged and written that much. I haven't done Sights and Sounds because we're kind of doing it here, Steve. Yeah. And we have, we have all this archived footage of our thoughts, feelings, emotions, what happened to us, what happened off the field from our perspective, kind of chronicled. So if you are a new uh, listener and we have so many new listeners, go back, maybe listen to some of those things because it's interesting as heck now knowing what happened and maybe there's some things we got wrong, call us out on it. And by the way, uh, we are available now on YouTube. Now it's just the audio, but I know some of you are huge fans of YouTube and you have a subscriber list. Subscribe. If that's, if that's a preferred way that you get your content, we're on there. If you found us on YouTube, You can find us on any podcast network anywhere. So check us out.
1: And Greg, in closing, we have to change our clothes. Maybe it's really simple now. I don't know what to say. I just want to remind our listeners, Michigan is your undisputed national champs. Go blue, Greg. Go blue.